At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit, where we're journeying through what many call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, to uncover a more lasting force than hard work and a more enduring purpose than momentary success. You can turn to uh, Romans chapter 8 this morning is where we'll be. Romans 8 as we um, dive into God's word this morning. If you're new, my name is Jim. I'm the campus pastor here in Lake Orion. And uh, we are so glad that you are with us to worship with us today. And uh, man, here at the end of the service, we're going to be taking communion together. You don't need to grab it from the table. If you already have, it's okay. Um, But we'll give you time here at the end to do so. As we uh, celebrate communion, if you're new to our church on the first Sunday of each month as we join together, whether here or online. So if you're joining us online, you can go ahead and go grab the elements. We're going to be taking them at the end of the service uh, together. Well, if you're in Romans chapter 8, this morning uh, we're going to be continuing in our series. If you haven't been here, uh, last week we started a new series called Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit. Today we're going to be continuing in Romans chapter 8 together, and we'll be continuing in Romans chapter 8 up until the 1st of December when we get to dive into Christmas fully without being shamed publicly. Um, So up until then, I'll be still listening to Christmas music, but it will be allowed then. So up until then, we'll be going through Romans chapter 8. And as we jump into the Word today, one of the things... um, that I've learned in my short life of being a parent is that my words to my daughters are identity forming. I've learned this through the process of family members going to counseling, through uh, trial and error, through studies, through uh, being informed, by seeing it the way that my children respond. What I say to them matters in shaping who they will become. Now, I know that happens. I just want to, this is free, but you as parents, I want to let you know that what you speak over or into your children matters in forming their identity. Specifically, fathers, you have a strong responsibility in this, in the shaping of your children's identity. Who I tell them they are really matters to their future. If I tell them that they're dumb or stupid or ugly or wrong all the time, like constantly tell them you're wrong, you never do anything right, it will shape them and how they see themselves in the future as negative. And likewise, if I tell them they're smart and beautiful and good and lovable and strong women, it will shape the way they see themselves as positive, right? You see this all the time just in my oldest daughter as she plays soccer. Right now she's in Florida playing soccer in a tournament. And oftentimes she gets an immense amount of anxiety before games. And so oftentimes we have to speak to her and look her in the face and tell her, you're strong. You can do this. Just play. It doesn't matter what you do out there. Mom and dad still love you. Your coach will still care about you. Your your teammates, it doesn't matter. Like... Stop allowing this to debilitate you. This is who you are, not what you do on the field is who you are. This over here is who you are. And honestly, thinking this way has really shaped and changed the way that I parent my children, and I hope that it does the same 
for you. Oftentimes I have to remind my children of who they truly are when they don't act like it or they don't remember it for themselves. I have to speak it to them rather than just telling my kids as we often do, don't do this and do that. What they should do or shouldn't do, I try to remind them of who they are rather. When they treat their siblings wrong, or they speak to me wrong, or they disobey me, or they act in public the wrong way, rather than just telling them to stop, I also try to call them to live up to who they are in our family and who they are in Christ. I want to speak to their identity and breathe life in that place, breathe life there, because the answer to life change is not more rules, it's heart change, and identity changes the heart. You realize that? And even as we dive back into Romans chapter 8, like a spiritual father, I see the Apostle Paul speaking in this way to our identity. Uh, I shared a little bit about this last week, but when you read the epistles uh, by the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul, he, he shares them in a very unique way. Oftentimes, the beginning half of the epistle speaking to our identity, who we are in Christ, or the specific church he's writing to, who they are in Christ. And then the second half, he's calling them to live in light of that. And the same thing is pr- true with my children. Man, this is who you are. You've given your life to Jesus. This is who you are in our family. This is your identity. Live in light of that. And I kind of see this the same way here today in our, in, our, in our position here in Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul is doing the same thing as he's speaking to the Roman believers and speaking to them about who they are and whose they are because of the Spirit of God in them. And the identity of the believer um, is different, we see in Romans chapter 8, because of the Holy Spirit. What's amazing is uh, the Apostle Paul could have given the Roman believers, here's five things to do to be a better believer. Here's three things to do uh, X, Y, and Z. Here's, Here's two truths you have to know to do this. Rather than all that, he spoke to who they were and informed their identity so then they could go out and live in light of it. Uh, Every single month... uh, Everyone who teaches from a platform or in a church building at Woodside Bible Church has something called a teaching team meeting where we go to the Troy campus and we eat dinner together and we hear from someone to grow and learn in our teaching ability, preaching ability, that we might get better at what God has called us to do. And uh, a couple months ago, I heard uh, uh, someone say Ray Ortland, if you've heard of him, was on via Zoom teaching us. And uh, he said something so pointed, uh, I, I don't know if I'll forget this, and as much application for us in Romans chapter 8, he says this, the answer for Christians who aren't good at being good Christians isn't more law, it's the Holy Spirit. The answer for Christians who aren't very good at being good Christians, hello, isn't more law, it's the Spirit of God. And this is what we find in Romans chapter 8, is that we have the spirit of Christ in each one of us, and it changes our identity, and therefore it changes everything. Behavior modification, like God looking down and saying, Jim, stop, 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 isn't the answer. Rather, the answer is the Holy Spirit of God in me transforming my identity and then calling me and empowering me to live in light of that identity. 
And today, as followers of Jesus, I want to speak this over you. I want your identity to be even spurred along following Jesus more in, in more greater ways moving forward as you see and hear and experience this today. That believers today, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are no longer slaves, but are heirs with Christ. That if you are in Christ today, believer, you are not a slave. You are a son of Almighty God, a daughter of Almighty God. And that changes everything. That should change and modify and move us to greater empowerment following Jesus, just like my children As I tell them, you're dumb. You'll never be better. You should be better. You're wrong. You're ugly. The word of God says the tongue has the power to literally kill or bring life. And that is so true. And today, I hope that my words bring you life. That this is who you are in Christ. So I just want us to see in a few verses uh, this morning... That if the Spirit of Christ dwells, and if you're here today and you know Jesus and the Spirit of Christ Christ dwells in you, it should change the way you live. And and there's three things we're going to see today as we look at the scriptures. The first one is that you possess spiritual and resurrection life. It's in you. It's dwelling in you. And his name is the Spirit of God. Look with me in verse 9 of Romans chapter 8. He says this, "You You, however are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. So there's the, the baseline, if, this is all if, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So there's a marker of who belongs to God if you have the spirit of Christ dwelling in you. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life brings Uh, Because of righteousness, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. It's amazing. There's a shift. If you were here last week, we we ended in in verse 8, and there's a shift that Paul's kind of addressing here uh, to the Roman believers. Now, he's talking to followers of Jesus. As previously in verse 8, he says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So he's speaking to non-believers, and now he transitions to talking to you, however, are in the flesh. So those of you here who are followers of Jesus, now he's speaking to you. And we miss the point if we're just thinking that the Apostle Paul is talking about moral weakness or this state after we become a follower of Jesus that we're kind of still, uh, you know, morally weak and we can't live up to following Jesus. No, Paul's language here is positional, that we are in Christ, and this is who we are. And he's saying that while we're subject to physical decay, while we're in Christ, we're we're, we're still experiencing death. You'll experience death. You're prone to sin still, yes. You're tempted. He understands all of this. But at the end of the day, we have to do justice to Paul. If you read all of Romans, chapter chapter after chapter, he he declares that we are no longer in the flesh. We are, you know, freed from the law of sin and death. We're dead to sin's power. That is who you are. And he's saying the marker of this position is that the spirit of, God, of the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, dwells in you, and you have the spirit of Christ. So 
Here when he says the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Christ, these are interchangeable. When he says the Spirit of Christ and Holy Spirit, this is the same with, with what he's talking about here. And he talks about this combination here, that since we have the Spirit of Christ, although our physical bodies are dying because of sin, right, that when Adam and Eve sinned, that death entered the picture, and now I'm learning day in and down as I get closer to 40, and I feel like I'm going to have a breakdown when I hit that, but like, but... As I get closer to 40, I'm experiencing that my body is slowly dying. Right? I mean, it's not like every day you feel better getting out of bed. I was down this weekend in Ohio, literally like the, the, the mountains of Kentucky, sleeping in a tent. It was 25 degrees out. Got out of bed, and I'm like, I feel like death. I didn't wake out of bed and be like, man, I feel rejuvenated. Today is a better day than the day before. No, every day I feel like my bones are deteriorating. And I'm only 38 years old. So every day we're experiencing that our bodies are physically dying, but we have the Spirit of Christ in us that's residing in us. So he's, what he's saying is, through the Spirit, we have the sense of new life now and the assurance of eternal life in the resurrection. He's saying that your life now, because of the Spirit of Christ, is better today, now, and the then of life is assured by the Holy Spirit as well. That while you live right now, your life can be better, even though your body is decaying every single day. And on top of that, the then of life, we have the hope that one day our lives will be made fully new and perfect again. Because the Spirit of God, that's why we say, that you possess spiritual and resurrection life today. He's saying that the Spirit's life-giving power is not hindered by our mortal bodies, but actually overcomes and transforms mortality into immortality of eternal life. That there is nothing that the Spirit of God, it, it can't do otherwise. Because the Spirit of God is in you, it brings life, is what he's saying. Even though every single day you are experiencing the ramifications of your body decaying. And so I just want to open up today by those who are joining us online or those in this room and just ask you the simple question. And I feel like I ask this a lot, but I don't know who is in the room or where you're at spiritually in all honesty every single week because I can't see your heart. So I constantly want to ask, have you started, have you even initiated do you have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you? It starts there. Do you have the Spirit of Christ? Can you say that you are no longer in the flesh, but in the Spirit? Then if you don't possess spiritual resurrection and spiritual life, you are not in the Spirit. But man, the Scripture said that you're dead in your sins and the only way to make you alive is through the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit coming into your life and making you life, uh, giving you life. So today, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, not just as your Savior, we get there a lot. Like, yeah, I love the gushy stuff. Like, he saved me, he redeemed me, he made me new. But the Lord, you can't have Savior without Lord. You don't just get to become a follower of Jesus and sit on your hands and wait to go home to heaven. No, he's your Savior and your Lord. He is now your King. You give him all dominion. So do you have that? For those of us who know Jesus, he says, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, 
Man, believer, today I want to tell you your identity is that you have the Spirit of God in you, and that changes everything. You have and possess spiritual and resurrection life if the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. The same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead literally brought death to life, rolled a tomb away, and overcame sin, death, and hell. That Spirit lives in you. Man, that is, that is life-changing. That is life-altering. You have the Spirit of Christ, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. Now, as he transitions... We see that if the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, you owe nothing to the flesh. Because you have the Spirit, you now know owe nothing to your flesh. Let's look in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. That is identity. That is identity forming. He's speaking this to us. For if you live according to the flesh, in verse 13... You will die. But if by the Spirit, key term there, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You owe nothing to the flesh. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing, knows that you have the amazing privilege of being indwelt by the Spirit of God. He knows this. And he knows that you can live victoriously because of that amazing privilege, but... He also knows that we will still struggle and not automatically follow the will of God for our lives, that we're not perfect, we'll never be perfect until we see Christ face to face. He knows that reality. So in light of that, he actually calls us to live by the Spirit. He's saying, while you no longer belong to the realm of the flesh, as he says, debtors to the flesh, we still have a continued relationship with this old man, if you will, that the person we used to be outside of Christ, we still have this relationship that we are wrestling with every single day. But he's saying in this, there is differences in the day-to-day life of the believer because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And this is one of the major differences in your life or should be a part of your life because the Spirit of God dwells in you. It's this, that you no longer have an obligation to live according to the flesh. If you're not in Christ, you have an obligation. This is what boggles my minds about Christians. They get really upset at the world living like the world. Like, what do you expect? You expect the world around you, apart from Christ, to live out Christ's morales and the way that he wants you to live? No. So when you look at the world, maybe we could start by having a little bit more compassion on the world because the world is bound in slavery to what they're living. And so now he says, you, what changes about your life is you no longer have an obligation to live according to the flesh, but the rest of the world still has an obligation to follow the flesh and sin because they're slaves to that. What's beautiful about you and beautiful about me is that we now, rather, the Spirit brings an obligation of liberation. That we now have... We, we, we have been liberated by the Spirit of God. We are no longer slaves, as we're going to see. We're heirs with Christ. In verse 13, Paul says, there's two results of the way we choose to live, life or death. Now, death here, he's not talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual 
Those who live according to the flesh do not have the spirit, will experience spiritual death. But those that by the spirit, or who by the spirit put to death the deeds of the body will experience spiritual life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the same spirit that set you free from the law of sin and death has taken up residence in you. Man, I know this is almost, that's mystical. But the spirit of God has taken up residence in you. Now, it should, he should be producing in you the mindset that tends toward doing the will of God and resisting the ways of the flesh. He's taking up residence in you, and he's, he's bending your will, as we'll see in a moment, in partnership with you to, to now want to follow the ways of Jesus and reject the ways of the world and sin and the flesh and the devil. You owe nothing to the flesh. And although Paul, as I just said, is calling believers to be responsible for mortifying their flesh or stopping living that way, he says this is accomplished by the Spirit. This is an effort of us becoming more like Jesus. This effort of holy living is not accomplished by our own moralism or legalism. I see that a lot within followers of Jesus. It's moralism and legalism. It's moralistic deism. Change these three things and you'll be a better follower of Jesus. There's nothing wrong with changing things in your life. But that is not the way in which we only follow Jesus. The way that we see it working is that, that the Holy Spirit is in partnership with us as we give way to the Spirit of God, as we'll see in a moment, not quenching the Spirit of God, but partnering with the Spirit of God in my own efforts to become more like Jesus. And in there, God gives us the grace to become more like Jesus. As John Murray says, he says this, the believer's once for all death to the law of sin does not free him from the necessity of mortifying sin in his members. It makes it necessary and possible to do so. So he's saying, when you become a follower of Jesus, the spirit of God in you makes it necessary for you to follow Jesus and live according to the spirit. It also empowers you to do so and go along with the Spirit. This is the process of sanctification, I can tell you, and we all know, I don't have to preach this to you, it is not an easy process. It is a broken process. It's a hard process. I'll tell you, even as I was preparing for this message, writing this message for Woodside, it's, you're, you're, you think about it, it's almost like a freed slave who might, out of habit, obey their old master, even after being released legally and positionally from them. Just out of habit, they, they listen to them because maybe they have their whole lives. Although they've been freed legally and positionally, they begin to keep following them. The same is true as we as Christians. We listen and obey to the, we obey the voice of our old master, the flesh, even though we have been legally and positionally redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We still listen. I guarantee you, when I say the voice, you know exactly what voice that is. I don't even have to tell you. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. Because when I mention it, the Spirit of God instantly, if he's in you, if he's a part of your life, is now preaching to you. That now, what voice is that for you, that old master that you continually go back to? Because this is the thing. You owe nothing to that master. You know nothing to the flesh. You don't have to obey it. You can. This is your identity again. You can, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body and experience life. 
We have that power in us. And he says it's by the Spirit. Have you ever heard of grieving or quenching the Spirit? It's, it's an interesting thing as you read the scriptures. One of, one of the scriptures is Ephesians chapter 3. Um, as you read down, I'll just read verse 25. It won't be on the screen, but I, I just want to read this for you. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the level, to the devil, excuse me. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for the building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve... Also, quenching, many people believe this is the same thing as it talks about in other places, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed to the day of, re of redemption. And, and what happens is, I believe there's a number of ways that we grieve the Spirit of God or quench the Spirit of God's working in your life. I think one of the main ways, the first ways that you grieve the Spirit of God in your life or you quench the Spirit of God's working in your life is the lack of acknowledgement of the Spirit of God. I mean, imagine a relationship you're in, and you just walk in your home every single day, and you never acknowledge your spouse. What kind of relationship are you going to have? Like, you're there. I know you took up residence in my home, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to look at you. I'm not going to speak to you. I'm not going to acknowledge you. I'm not going to walk with you. I'm not going to hang out with you. Do you think that would grieve your spouse? I think so. And I think one of the major ways, I spoke about it last week, and I'll speak about it again because I think it's still happening. One of the major ways that we grieve or, or suppress the Spirit of God in our life is the fact that we don't even acknowledge that he's there. We don't acknowledge that he's walking with us, that he's present, that he's, he, he's there as our helper and, and, our, and our teacher and our encourager and all of the things that God has given us. One of the greatest things that God has given us since Jesus left is the Spirit of God and you. And how dare us not even acknowledge his presence in our life. I think we grieve the Holy Spirit about just like we read by rejecting the Spirit and living according to the flesh that there are things in your life that you are living unto that are not of God and it grieves the Spirit of God in your life. Man, are you working in partnership with the Spirit? to put to death the deeds of your body? Are you going back to the old master, your slave, as a slave and submitting to him? And today, maybe, it might just start by confessing and repenting of the fact that you are not partnering with the Spirit of God. I want to tell you again, because this is identity for me, you don't have an obligation to live according to the Spirit. Rather, you have an obligation of liberation that comes from the Spirit of God. That is your identity. Start living that way. Well, the third way we see that the Spirit of Christ dwells in us is you've received adoption into God's family. Look at verse 14 with me. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Put daughters in there. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption 
as sons and daughters, by who we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ or with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You've received adoption into God's family. Ending this section, Paul gives us kind of the implications or the ramifications of what he's previously said, that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And what he's saying is, being led by the Spirit is evidence of being a child of God. I want you to hear me on that. Being led by the Spirit of God is evidence of being a child of God. That the Holy Spirit gives us a new identity as children of God. And he says that it bears witness with our spirit. That the Spirit of God should be bearing witness with your spirit that you are a child of God and leading you in your life. What's amazing is, is one commentator wrote this. I think this is so accurate of what he's saying. The Holy Spirit is not only the instrument in making us God's children, he also makes us aware we are God's children. So the Holy Spirit is the instrument that makes us God's children, is it dwelling power, applying the blood of Christ to our lives, but he's also the instrument that makes us aware that we're our God's children, that there should be in our hearts a sense that we are children of God by the Spirit of God, so much so that we cry out, as it says, Abba, Father. The way that we do that is through the spirit of adoption, he says, and he says that we cry... Abba, Father. The Aramaic word Abba here, it means dear father. Um, maybe in the sense that we might say dad or daddy. So I just want you for a moment, picture your child if you have one, or the way that you addressed your mom and dad when you were a kid. This is the spirit with which it is saying here, dad or daddy. It was never used by the Jews and still is not today. Jesus alone used this term, and it was no doubt considered scandalous by his enemies. This is the name with which Jesus used in the Garden of Gethsemane as he went to his father and said, if there's another way, let this cup pass from me, God, but your will be done. Your will, Father, Dad, Daddy. It's believed the same word in Aramaic in the original of what we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Dad, Daddy who art in heaven. And he calls us to pray that way. And now here in Romans, the Holy Spirit is compelling us as adopted children of God to cry, Abba, Father. That Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, has given us his own special name for God as children of God. Man. So intense is the Spirit of God in us that we feel the weight of being children of God. He says the same thing in Galatians 4 when he says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. So intense is the reality of our adoption that when the spirit testifies with our spirit, we cry out, Dad, Father. In verse 17, Paul gives us the benefits of being adopted into God's family. He says, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. I think this is significant because we are not just heirs of God, but we're fellow heirs with Christ, meaning Christians inherit the blessings of God's kingdom, listen to me on this, only through and in 
Christ. So what that means is that we are heirs of God by virtue of belonging to the Son of God, and we are heirs of God only by virtue of our union with the one who is the heir of all God's promises, Jesus. So it's only in and through Jesus that we enter into this co-heir relationship of being children of God. It's interesting, if I asked you today, who are you, what would you say? I think if I was asked just off the fly and I wasn't preaching right now, I'd probably say um, I'm a pastor. But if you said, well, Jim, if that was stripped away, what would you say? Well, I'm a father and I'm a husband. Well, God forbid that that ever changes. Who are you? Well, I guess at the base, if you're just looking at me, I'm a white American male. Was there anything else? Well, yeah, of course. I'm a Christian. But how important is that to you? And I think we would all probably say very, very important to us. But why many times is it so far down the list in who we identify as? Why many times is it so far down that it's there that, like, yeah, it's just kind of obvious? Can I tell you, your identity will be tied to whatever you give your heart to. Does the Lord have that place in such a way that you go to the Lord? Dad, in such an intimate level that you, Father... I know that many people have not been able to experience the beauty of what that means on this earth. But what beautiful message to a world that maybe doesn't have a great relationship with their father, that they have a heavenly father that loved them so much that he adopted them as children. He sent his own son to die on their behalf and he sent his spirit to seal that relationship for all of eternity. It's overwhelming to me. For sometimes, many times, as a follower of Jesus, we don't really act like it. Like that is our identity, that we're a part of a family. That we've allowed something else in our relationship with the world or something or someone to define us and take the place in our heart that identifies us. But when we understand that we are identified by the creator of the universe, that changes everything. Can I just be honest with you? I, I think I'm still processing so many things that I learned when I had much of the summer off, but leading into my time off in sabbatical and even during sabbatical, man, this is the kind of stuff that the Lord was hitting me with. That, Jim, your identity is not that you're a pastor. Jim, you allow it to affect you too much whether or not people come to your church or leave your church, whether or not you see things successful in your church or not, whether or not you see if people are actually listening to what you're saying on Sunday morning and actually transforming their lives, whether people are actually uh, uh, embodying what they're, what they're called to be as followers of Jesus. Jim, you will let this stuff affect you too much. And what I want you to know, Jim, is you got nothing to earn, you got nothing to to present you have nothing to gain from what you do as a pastor that is already solidified. You are my 
son. And that is a freeing thing. That is a life-altering thing. That the Spirit of God has loved you so much that he came after you and he confirmed you by the Spirit so much so that it's such an intimate relation that you can cry out as a son of God, Father. That he took you, each one of you in this room, if you know Jesus, from a position of slavery and brokenness and he brought you into his own family, adopted you to be his own child. And how many times many of us walk away from God as our father and our family and we step back into a slave relationship and follow after the former ways of our life. I'll come back to it again. Have you been adopted into God's family? Man, if you've never placed your Faith in Jesus. I don't care how long you've been coming to church, how much money you've given to church, how many times you've served, or whatever it may be. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you are not a part of the family of God. Today, respond to the invitation, throw off the chains of slavery, and join the family of God. Come speak with me. Cry out to the Lord even in a moment as we sing. Your identity today, believer, is that you are no longer a slave, but you are an heir with Christ. You've received the spirit of adoption. This is your identity. Maybe today, it just means that you take a moment, confess to the Lord that you haven't been a family member. You've been living a different way that you've been going back to your slave master rather than living in light of being a child of God. I'm going to invite the band to come out. We're going to sing now. We're going to take communion together. And I want you to just spend a few moments. Many of you, as you walked in, you grabbed communion off of the table because that's what we often do. And that's okay. Many of you didn't, maybe. But you know, the, the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians to not take communion unworthily. And many people believe that what he's saying is that we wouldn't take communion just as another flippant thing of religious form that we do all the time while living in sin, living as someone who's in slavery to sin, living as though my sin, whether it's in a closet or a back room of the home of your heart, doesn't matter to God. And today, man, I just want authenticity. I think God wants authenticity. Man, today, if you are saying, yeah, man, I just need to begin to walk in my identity and stand up and walk with the Lord and, and live out my identity and stop living as a slave to this other thing, and maybe that just means, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect tomorrow, it just means you're going to start working in partnership with the Spirit of God. And today, I want to walk in that newness. And as I take communion today, I want to take it with a clean slate before the Lord. Yes, he's taken all my sin and darkness, but my relationship's been affected because I'm living in this darkness rather than living in liberation that he's given me. And today, you might not have gotten communion. I want you, don't get up and just take communion. Come to this place, grab communion during this song just because it's what we do. 
Take it because you are in communion with an almighty God and you're a part of the family of God and this is the meal of the family. And you're ready to begin walking again, maybe it's been a while, with the Spirit of God as a part of the family of God. But if not, I value your authenticity. Maybe you're not there. I want you to sit right there. Do not quench the Spirit of God. Do not take communion if your heart is hard towards the Lord. Do not take communion if you have sin in your life that you are unwilling to give to the Lord. But if you are, stand up, come take communion, go back to your seat and take it as they sing this beautiful song, thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Or if you've already taken it, take a moment. Maybe you picked it up on the way in. Don't take that communion. If you are not walking with the Lord, willing to hand off to the Lord all of your sin, shame, and guilt that is even a part of your life today. And may we walk in spirit and in truth with the Lord as he's called us to. Let's pray together. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the communion we have with you, Lord, that is as children of God and a part of the family of God. Thank you, Lord, for taking us from being slaves to sons and daughters, that we are new in you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the communion and what it represents that we have communion with you, and you've, by your blood, covered all of our sin, shame, and guilt and you rose from the grave triumphantly that we might have victory, Lord. And the only way that we have become children of yours is because of what we're remembering today and what you did for us on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for what we have in you. Empower us, Holy Spirit, to walk according to the Spirit and reject the sinful nature of the flesh. Meet with us now, Lord, as we even confess those things to you and remember what you've done. It's in your powerful name we pray, Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.